0: I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark to bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titius to Ephesus. When you come back, bring the cloak that I left with, with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through him the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Eratus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus ill in Malitus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. So we come to the end of kind of Paul's final letter. He knows he's coming to the end. It's sort of the end of the end. Uh, Paul is able to say, verse 7, I have kept the faith. I don't think Paul is just saying that he's kept faith with Jesus all of his, all of his days. Uh, I think he's saying more than that. He's saying, I have been, I've been faithful with the gospel message about Jesus Christ. I've been faithful by making it known uh, and passing it on to, uh, to those who will do the same. And as he comes uh, to, to finish, he gives us these, well, I think there are three pictures, three metaphors for the Christian life and for Christian leadership uh, that he gives to Timothy. And we pick up uh, this evening. The first one is there in verse 6. He talks about being poured out like a drink offering. It's it's an Old Testament picture. When an animal was taken to the temple in Jerusalem to be sacrificed, as the sacrifice was happening, um, an amount of wine, a drink offering would have been poured over it. So, so the image is, is, is Paul giving all that he has got. He's pouring himself out. He's been pouring himself out. Or as he puts it, he has been poured out. It's, it's costly. This is Paul saying, I've, I've given all that I've got. And yet, th- there is a rejoicing and a joy. Knowing that others might look on and say, well, what a waste. You know, people poured out wine that they could have been drinking. As a sacrifice to God, just as Paul pulls out his life, I guess there might have been somebody who looked at that and went, What a waste. We have another picture of the Christian life and the Christian leadership. Uh, Paul says at uh, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. And I think uh, we're invited to, to think about the boxing ring. You know, In fact, Paul uses the illustration of boxing elsewhere in, in one Corinthians nine, and he pairs it with with running a race as well there, which he goes on to do in our verses. And just I don't know, is any anyone really into boxing? Anyone box? You know, it's it's not my specialist subject by any means, but I imagine uh, it takes a heck of a lot of concentration, a lot of training. Uh, in the course of it, you take some major hits pretty brutal but i can imagine there's quite a high energy atmosphere to it Uh, and in some ways there's an excitement involved and we get the third picture uh, of what the christian life what christian leadership is like end of verse seven i finished halfway through the first seven sorry i finished the race not a sprint but a marathon anyone here done a marathon you walked one. That's more than I've done. That counts. That counts, yeah, definitely. And how were you at the end of it? You don't want to know. It rings you out. It's exhausting. And so you have to pace yourself. You have to look where you're going. Not looking where you've been, but you've got to look focus on on where you're travelling to. You've got to pay attention that you don't get disqualified. Or that you don't get discouraged, or you don't get depleted. It takes everything you've got. But along the way, there are some high points, there are some good moments. So we're given these three pictures the bottle of wine being poured out, the boxer fighting, the runner running. And Robert, I think there should be um, there should be a picture of those three things just to pop on the screen uh, for for the rest of um, rest of the sermon. Just and I just wonder which which of those images the, the bottle being poured out, the box of fighting, the runner running. Which which one particularly resonates with you in your life and your experiences? There's quite a lot of of overlap between the the three images, which is why it's quite helpful to hold on to these. Uh, And maybe this week, take some time to kind of reflect on on what these images speak about and what that means for you. Maybe when you're pouring out a drink or you're next in the gym, or you go for a run or a walk. And I think there's overlap in in three particular ways to these, these images. First... All of them are far from easy going. They involve effort, sacrifice, hard work. And Paul talks about his experiences in these final verses uh, of of what's gone on for him as he's been poured out, as he's fought the good fight, as he's sought to finish the race. So we pick up in verse 10, we find out about this, this character, Demas, who at one point was a co-worker with Paul for the gospel. Uh, We find him sending greetings along with Luke at the end of Colossians. And yet Paul says he's deserted him. Why? Because he is in love with the world. Um, We're not told whether uh, Demas is still kind of presenting as a Christian leader as he's gone off to uh, Thessalonica. But it seems to me that it's a source of huge discouragement for Paul. This co-worker, he seems to have abandoned the gospel and abandoned Paul. Then we find others who Paul has said goodbye to in verse 10. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And I don't think uh, Paul's suggesting they've done the same as Demas, but there's a cost to sending friends away. Think of friends of yours who've moved away. It's not easy. Your relationship changes. Maybe you don't see each other as much. Um, just think of the experience of sending out the church plant team to, to Living Hope. It's really exciting, but it, it's costly, isn't it? And we gathered. Some of us gathered on Wednesday evening for a Cornerstone Prayer and Praise, and there was great joy in the room as we reconnected together. And then verse 14, uh, Paul talks of this experience with Alexander the metal worker. What happened, we don't know. But it wasn't a good experience. In fact, it was, it was such a bad experience that, that Paul is wanting to warn Timothy. He harmed. He harmed Paul, and he opposed the gospel. Beware of Alexander, the metal worker. Serious opposition. In verse 16, we, we find Paul talking about, at my first defense... No one came to my support. What's that about? Well, it appears, you know, Paul's uh, probably writing from prison in Rome, and it seems to me that he's describing, if you like, his first date in court. And who turns up to support him? No one. Who comes to speak on his behalf? No one. In fact, he describes it in verse 17, doesn't he? That he is facing. Uh, facing the lion's mouth and these verses they they echo psalm 22 you know that that um, psalm that that jesus speaks on the cross my god, my god why have you forsaken me There's a lot of echoes in these verses of that psalm and it's as if uh, paul is saying i'm having my own little experience in a small way of what jesus my savior the one who i followed had in the biggest possible way And then it might seem a small thing. You can imagine it's a hard thing. Verse 20. He leaves Trophimus in Miletus, but he leaves him ill. That probably didn't sit with Paul very well. You're always thinking, how is he doing? Is he still alive? Is he okay? So these three images, the... the bottle being poured out, the, the boxer fighting, the, the runner running. Christian life and leadership, it's not going to be an easy ride. It is about counting the cost rather than getting comfy on the couch. And I think these verses show us in our own lives, in our own experience, there's probably two main areas where that will play out. There'll be times when we feel isolated or alone. We might have lots of people around us, we might be well connected, but it feels like there's people around us who they don't quite get what's going on. Or the people who, who should be supporting you don't turn up. Or there's discouragement because somebody you thought was going, going well with Jesus seems to have abandoned it. And you feel disappointment, discouragement. Well, second of all, there might be times of opposition, and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's unlikely that we're going to face the fires of persecution that bro- uh, some of our brothers and sisters around the world will experience, but we instead have the freeze of hostility. We get the cold shoulder, the strange looks, the slight avoidance. It might be done very politely, but it's a closing of the door on God and his gospel. So these three images tell us it's not going to be an easy ride. Christian life, Christian leadership, there's cost involved, There'll be times we feel isolated and alone. There'll be times of opposition. But the second uh, area of overlap between these three pictures, the drink offering, the fight, the race, this is it's not all bad. Having started a bit doomedly, but it's not all bad. In fact, there's some remarkable moments to rejoice in. I can imagine that um, you know, being in the temple when the sacrifice is, is happening and the pouring out of a drink offering is part of the worship and the rejoicing and the joy that is part of that. Or think in the fight of the kind of excitement and the energy and the cheering crowds. Or or in a race, the the moments where you find a burst of speed to get up the hill or uh, you're being cheered on by the crowd or or just that moment where it just strangely feels good. That's Paul's experience as well in his Christian life, his, his leadership. So verse 11, we find, okay, most people have deserted him, but he's still got Luke by his side. Maybe it's easy to feel a bit sorry for Luke, because Paul's going, everyone's left me. Oh, I've still got Luke, but everyone's left me. But actually, I imagine, you know, Luke Luke was probably sharing a lot of similar feelings to Paul, but he's got Luke by his side. You know, the Luke who wrote the gospel and acts. I mean, what a what a person to have with you. He's got a whole host of friends. Christian brothers and sisters who were stuck into gospel ministry in lots of different places, lots of different countries. Um, We're told, verse 10, Timothy's told to bring Mark. And interestingly, that's the one Paul and Barnabas fell out over. And yet he's been reconciled uh, to Paul. Verse 12, um, Tychicus, he's gone off to Ephesus. Uh, Then verse 19, we've got Priscilla and Aquila. We've got the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus in Corinth, Trophimus in Miletus, then there's the names in verse 21. You've got Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia. And even in Paul's experience of being on his own, on trial in the courtroom, no one seeming to have his back. He's still able to have had that experience, verse 17, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And now time and again, verse 18, God has rescued Paul from every evil attack. Well, that clearly doesn't mean that Paul was rescued out of every hard situation he was ever in. All you have to do is read some of his letters to know that that's not true. It's not being rescued from those, it's being rescued through them. And he knows that the ultimate rescue will come when the worst thing that could happen to him, death itself, happens. He'll be rescued, he'll be brought safely into Jesus' heavenly kingdom. He has the experience of God never wasting his struggle or suffering. Verse 17 speaks of God's strength being at his side and strengthening him. Why? So that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul again and again got to see the message of Jesus reaching new people. God never wasted these these moments where it seemed like everything had gone wrong. So these three images, uh, the, the bottle being poured out, the, the box of fighting, the runner running, it's, it's not all bad. There's some real encouragements. Even when you are feeling isolated or opposed, you can know that God has never abandoned you. And, and sometimes it, it feels like God takes us to our limits and then he takes us a bit further. Gosh, I don't know if you've had that experience. And yet that's when somehow we know something more about God's strengthening of us. We get to be part of a local family of believers here at church. We're part of a global family. We've got brothers and sisters dotted around the world. Uh, We might know specific names. Deep Christian friendships. And even when some move on to new places, we still have that deep connection. And amazingly, God includes us in his work of leading others to faith in Jesus. It's not all bad. In fact, the loss being found is, is something to rejoice in. Something the angels in the presence of God rejoice in. So, these three pictures, they tell us that Christian life and Christian leadership is going to be heavy going. It's going to be tough. To, to use the illustration from earlier, it's, it's going to be a rocky raid. But it's not all bad. There's some real encouragements to look out for and to experience. And thirdly, these images are being poured out of fighting the good fight, of finishing the race. Uh, they tell us that it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Just think of the moment the drink offering is poured out on the sacrifice. Marking the moment that the sacrifice was complete. Coming with the knowledge to use the, the Old Testament language of a, a pleasing aroma going up to God. It's so worth it. Or the moment you've won the fight your opponent has been defeated, or you've got to the end of twelve rounds, and your hand is the one that's raised up in victory. Or you get to the, you've you've run you've reached the finish line and you stagger over it. And the crowd are cheering. And the medal is waiting for you. It's totally worth it. And again Paul Paul knows that. Look how he describes it in verse eight. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. As you stand on the the doorstep of a new week, what are you most looking forward to about next week? Might be just getting through it. Getting to the end of it. Or is... 2023 starts appearing and we start buying our calendars and our diaries. I wonder is about next year you're most looking forward to. And it's quite easy sometimes for those things to become our mental screensaver. Or, you know, on your phone you have a, often have a photo that's on your lock screen that sort of is always there behind everything. And if we're not careful, the, the, those things that maybe happen next week or next year, become the default thing that's just there in our mind when we're not paying attention to anything specifically. It's it's sort of there. And you you find in those moments that your mind just wanders away to it. Uh, When you find yourself kind of far away and then something brings you back. I wonder what it is that is your mental screensaver, your mental lock screen. It probably reveals something of what we're most longing for. Something we're most looking forward to. And those things in and of themselves are not bad. They're often good. They're often little tasters. Little tasters of joy of of something that's far better and far bigger than we can imagine. Advent, this this season in the church's year, invites us to look forward to something that goes further than we can imagine. It's far more ambitious than any of us can dream up. And centers on the one who gave everything for us. That crown of righteousness. Given by Jesus. By the righteous judge. That that moment for Paul where the life that he's led following Jesus. Is the life that God honors. Not because Paul's really impressive. Not because Paul is particularly clever or bright or because he's done certain things. Because it's the life Jesus called Paul into. It's the life Jesus gave to Paul by Jesus laying down his life on the cross. It's the life God equips and empowers Paul to live by giving him his Holy Spirit. This crown of righteousness is not set aside for certain types of people, but to those he belonged to Jesus. So we read in, in verse eight, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And we kind of find ourselves thinking, well, of course, Paul, you're going to get it. Of course you are, look at you. And Paul knows exactly what we might be thinking. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. A mark of a life following Jesus is longing for Jesus' return. Often it turns into something that we're just vaguely aware of and we, we know it's important, but it's, it's over there. I mean, Jesus hasn't come back for 2,000 years. It's, it's probably not going to happen for a little bit longer. So it just sort of fades into the distance over there. And yet, I think the Bible invites us to live today as though Jesus is going to return tomorrow and for that to shape each day. Jesus' return is the only certain feature of the future. Think about it for a moment. The only certain feature of the future is Jesus coming back. Christian life and leadership, pictured as a, as a drink offering, as, as, a, as a bottle of wine being poured out. Pictured as the, the fight being fought, as the race being finished. It's, it's, it's going to be seriously hard work. It's going to be disappointment. It's going to be opposition. What's going to keep us going until every last drop is poured out or until the final bell is rung or until the finish line is crossed? The only certain feature of the future. That's what's going to keep us going. Our saviour's return. Jesus-shaped leaders keep the faith. They keep the faith through disappointment, through opposition, through isolation, by longing for Jesus' appearing. And I can stop there. But if I'm, if I'm honest with you, there's been something in this passage that has bugged me all week. And I don't know that I've quite got to the bottom of it yet. For the last three chapters of this letter, Paul has been saying to Timothy, keep going, be courageous, fan into flame the gift of God, preach the word. Guard the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. And then suddenly, Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Trias and my scrolls, especially the parchments. You know, there's there's this sort of Sense of urgency all of a sudden. Timothy, you need to stay in Ephesus and, and, and be bold. Preach the word. No, come to me really quickly. And i will kind of like, how do they add up? So I'm going to throw the question to you. I want you to have a little think and see where we land. Why do you think Paul wants Timothy to come to him?